it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mets fans, welcome to episode 252 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. Uh, my name is Brian Salvatore, still the host of this show, still dealing with this atrocious Mets season, but we'll get through this together. Uh, first up this week, I chat with Chris McShane about various goings on in the Mets world, and we answer one of your emails. So here we go. Well, Chris, it seems almost fitting that Neither of us were recapping the game tonight for Amazing Avenue, and because of that, we got something really special. <laughs> uh, we didn't get to, like you did last night, write about position players pitching or <laughs> relievers giving up eight consecutive hits without recording it out or anything like that. Uh, instead, though, tonight, Rafael Montero went eight and a third innings of uh, shutout baseball walked four, struck out eight, gave up three hits, and, you know, looked at, uh, about as good as he's ever looked on a major league mound. 
Now, obviously, this is one start, and, and you and I have, have teased before that we both would like to be back on the Montero was good train. That would be a nice thing. We, I think it was during spring training we got uh, we got on board that train again. But do you read anything into this in terms of more? Anything into it more than just oh wow, he had a really good start, or is that is that pretty much your uh, summation of tonight's events? Well. I, I don't want to be that much of a bummer on easily the best start of his career. Uh, I definitely need to see more. Tonight doesn't make me say, oh, hey, that's the fifth starter, right? I mean, I think we're sort of searching right now. I think a realistic Mets fan, and we've talked about this a lot, we're, we're searching for somebody who can be that, be a fifth starter who's major league capable, uh, you know, you're not expecting them to be the next DeGrom or Syndergaard or anything like that. But in a rotation that has, you know, and I'm still putting Syndergaard in the sure thing column. Um, I hope that doesn't change. But the rotation that has two sure things in those guys, uh, as sure as you can get when it comes to pitching, and all question marks afterwards, so much of the rest of this season, you know, Rosario and Smith rightfully are uh, – the focal points, but I think so much of the rest of this season is sort of that audition for that role. So in that context, Montero has not uh, done nearly enough to make me comfortable with, you know, putting his name in that mix. Uh, Not yet, but you know, when a guy goes out and does this sort of thing and yes, it's a game late in the season and they're two bad teams and it doesn't really matter to either team. Um, you know, from from our perspective, I don't necessarily think, and and obviously it's not the same situation as if these guys were in a playoff race, but I don't think individual games don't matter at all to the players who are in them, especially not the starting pitcher. Right. So, you know, you, you come off this and you go, oh, okay, that is what we have always hoped to see him do. Uh, you know, can he, he doesn't necessarily have to do exactly that again this year, but can he, yeah, no, I mean, Hey, another, another start or two, uh, in that vein, even if it's not a, you know, a one hat, one hit shutout going into the ninth, even if it's seven innings, five or six strikeouts, maybe more, um, one or two runs starts like that, that we got very accustomed to. With, uh, with other med starters, those would be great. But I think even just avoiding disastrous starts would also be something that's encouraging. Because if we're really like searching for a fifth starter in our minds, I have no idea what the front office thinks of the whole situation. <laughs> but um, if that's what we're hoping for, then avoiding disaster and occasionally throwing a gem is fine for that role. I just need to see Montero do it for a month, uh, you know, from here through the end of the season to put him into the mix. Uh, because, you know, we're realistic. We've, we've touched on this a lot. You cannot expect Matt Harvey, Zach Wheeler, and Steven Matz to all be healthy at the same time, probably ever again. <laughs> Maybe their relative health after retirement can line up together. <laughs> but, uh, other than that, yeah. I agree with you. Uh, I agree with you completely. 
you know, what, what I find is, is really interesting about Montero is that he was such a non-prospect in so many ways. You know, he signed much later in life than most, uh, you know, the, the most players that come up in similar ways. He uh, he was somebody who, you know, he was a well-regarded prospect when he was a prospect, but he was never spoken about in the same hushed tones as Matt Harvey or Zach Wheeler or Noah Syndergaard and was, was one of these guys that sort of astute Mets observers who followed things like, you know, minor league game logs and that were always pretty impressed with him, but he was never quite the, the superstar uh, prospect that so many others are. Then he came up and was, you know, I, I think I, I everybody could say, you know, his, his early career as a Met was not exactly distinguished. Uh, you know, there were questions about his use. Overall, he just he's had a weird career. He's had a really, really weird career. And so I feel like he's a hard player to project anything on, especially anything after, you know, after the most basic uh, ideas of of what to expect from him. Like, you know, I feel like he's already lost all of the the goodwill he got as a prospect, and then some. So he's 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 an absolute underdog at this point, which you know makes him fun to root for. But it also means that you you're almost like you're almost totally conditioned to believe everything is a fluke with him because he is so unusual in his history and everything else. It's just hard to believe anything about Montero. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things, you know. You, you I, I know it gets harped on that, uh, you know, he was considered ahead of Degrom on prospect lists and that kind of thing at, at a certain point in time. Uh, you know, that's not that uncommon. You know, that that's not to completely uh, excuse that perception, whether it was from the team or from outside of the team. But it's not that uncommon that things can turn out differently. Uh, from a, how a guy looks in AAA to the majors, uh, you know, certain Matt Harvey compar- was compared to Mike Pelfrey uh, without the, without the curve, without the split, without the what? Yep. I think it was without the something. I think it was without the the curve. I don't remember, but yeah, Matt Harvey. Our, mind, our minds are on the same thing. I was, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but. Yeah, so that's that's not that unusual. Um, obviously, everything he's done up to this point has been pretty frustrating, and you know the the biggest signs that he's shown that have been positive have were I think in spring training this year. Yeah, certainly spring training this year was the best he had looked in in a couple of years, and uh, you know I. Uh... I I really enjoy this part of baseball. I really enjoy finding the 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 twenty fourth or twenty third guy on a roster. To me, that's a lot of fun to to examine people and 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 see what they really have and all that. I, I think that's that's good. And you know, for Mets fans that are looking for something to root for this season, we talked about this last week a little bit and the week before. Just you know, finding these stories for the last month and a half of the season that'll that'll make for something that's not totally depressing. If Montero has a couple more good starts, that's a legitimately good story to end the year on. Um, that said, I don't think 
I don't think that there is any amount of of quality starts that Montero can have by the end of the season that would make me higher on him. Like if I, if I was gambling, I don't think I would take Montero over the field of Harvey Wheeler and Mats. I might take him over one individually, but I, I still I still think I, I'm more confident in those three guys as a whole than I would be with Montero, even if Montero put up two more starts just like this start by the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's not a ringing endorsement necessarily of the other three. No, it's not. Uh, but, but it's reasonable. I would still say, if healthy, I'd put those three guys ahead of him. Uh, and as if you've listened to any episode of this podcast over the last month or two, you know, uh, I'd, I'd put a lot of the guys who are going to be out there in free agency who aren't super sexy or exciting ahead of those three, or at least one or two of those three. Um, you know, they, they have a starting pitching problem. Which is still so crazy to say out loud. It is. It just shows you how delicate all this is, kids. Um, but anyway, how much of the game did you get to watch? I know you had a fantasy football draft, so how much of the game did you get to watch? Uh, I listened mostly. Okay. Um, I would have been watching, but let's see. The NBC Sports app that's part of the like stream in market thing that SMY has is garbage. <laughs> well, it worked earlier in the season, but now it's blacked out for local games, which is entirely the point of them being in there. Right, exactly. So that doesn't make any sense. And I've seen people voicing that complaint. Uh, SNY's web stream has been broken for two months now. (laughs) And they don't seem to really care about fixing it. Um, If you go to Mets blog and click on the link at the top that says, like, stream whatever, whatever game live, you can go, uh, in my experience, you can go in any browser on either a Mac or Windows computer and the it'll it'll come up with that ad that has to play before it starts and the ad never completes and therefore the stream never starts. It's been doing that for two months. So if anyone out there has uh any better contacts at SNY than I do, go go ahead and get that fixed. So the combination of those two things and then the fact that I was just lazy. I didn't really want to switch rooms in the middle of the draft I, I couldn't just throw it on tv so you have the full explanation of why i only saw the ninth inning uh but i did i'd heard the rest i, I was listening to howie and josh um you know describe it and there there was one point that howie i, I think it was howie well let's just say it was howie described one of montero's change-ups as uh either either beautiful or gorgeous you know it was really an emphatic uh not that he doesn't get into it and get emotional and use those kind of words, but that it was a description of a pitch that sounded, you know, particularly impressive. Um, I think, you know, that one thing that he does particularly well uh, on the radio is paint that picture for you. So I didn't see all of it, but I felt like I saw some of it just from, you know, hearing his description. Yeah. You didn't miss that much because this is the week that Gary Cohen's off. So listening to Howie Rose on the radio is certainly a preferable experience broadcaster-wise. Um, I, I I was um, 
I was I was being a dad for a good part of tonight, so I didn't see a ton of the game either. But Montero, you know, he looks quite good. But who also continues to look good, and we were planning on talking about this before the game tonight, is um, Kevin Plawecki looking like he might actually be something for the Mets on the Major League side. Uh, Plawecki's come back from uh, AAA and has, I mean, raked is a strong word, but he has looked quite good behind the plate, and he has hit more in this, you know, few weeks than it appeared he ever had in his previous Major League stays. He looks more confident at the plate, and um, it's it's given Mets fans a little bit of hope as to maybe there's a role for, for Pulecki going forward. Um, what have you thought about the reemergence of Kevin Pulecki thus far, Chris? I mean, it might even be the first emergence That's of true. Kevin Pulecki. That is true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, when he when he went down to the minors um, in May, and uh, honestly, it's not like he was even up and playing for that long. But when he went back down to the minors in, in May, he had a 3.81 OPS. Uh, he comes back in you know mid August, and in the span of just a few games, he's brought that 3.81 up to a 6.91 OPS, and that's you know that that's pretty significant. And obviously, this is sort of like in total judging a player's output at the end of April, right? But I don't know, like there's something there, and I was I was looking to see, and I, maybe I had missed it. Um, you know, perhaps uh, on a pregame or a postgame show or somewhere in a broadcast, there may have been a mention of something a little more specific about what he had done. Um, but everything you saw from Terry Collins and him himself was essentially just that in this stint in Vegas that he did really well. You know, so I, I don't know why that is, uh, but he did. He, you know, he certainly uh, destroyed the ball really down there and. Yeah, you know, it, it's Vegas, and that's the thing that happens, and he's had good stints there before, but I don't know. I mean, obviously we're dealing with small sample size stuff. His entire major league career really still is a small sample. Right. Uh, but it's it's nice to see, um, you know, especially as week in, week out, Travis Darno is just still sort of not hitting well. Um you know, it's nice to see some positive coming from a position that is in question. Uh, you know, it, it, there's so many spots where the Mets could just go, oh, we'll just stick with what we have. You know, we know they can't do that at all of them. Uh, but it would be nice if Pawecki, at the very least, looked like he was capable of being half of a major league catching, you know, roster. Yeah, uh, that's that's a really interesting observation you made, which is that there are going to be so many positions that the Mets are just going to shrug their, or presumably that the Mets are just going to shrug their shoulders over this winter. And I thought for a long time that catcher was going to be one of those positions that they would sign an, uh, an equivalent of Rene Rivera for a backup and just let Darno catch again this season. And I, I'm not a huge Darno hater. I'm not trying to come off as a as uh, you know, particularly harsh on Darno, but Darno has has not has not been very good as a Met since 2015, and you know if Plawecki can even just get you know some competition out of Darno in the spring, 
that's a valuable guy to have around, even in that very, very small, very, very minuscule capacity. The fact that Plawecki has looked so strong behind the plate, I think has to be hopeful for for any Met fan who was who was dreading another season of, of Darno. And this again, this is not a knock on Darno. I think Darno has a lot of natural talent. We saw twenty fifteen, especially that second half of twenty fifteen, just how potent his bat could be. But it's been it's been a long time since he's seemed to be even I mean, even a quarter of that player. You know, so right. the fact that Plawecki is emerging as something means that the Mets might be able to not upgrade a catcher, and that's not the worst thing in the world. I still hope they do upgrade a catcher, but he has given me a little bit more hope for for the in-house options of that position. Right. Yeah, and that, I think, is uh, the important takeaway. He's giving them something to talk about. As opposed right. to just being, uh, like a, you know, instead of being an afterthought, he's actually going to be a thought this winter. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, any other, before we get to our, our lone email, any quick Mets hits you want to get to? Uh, let's see. There was... Uh... There's some noise made about, you know, what uh, Chris Flexen, you know, showing his frustration on the mound when Jose Reyes made a terrible misplay in left field. I couldn't care less that Flexen showed some emotion. You know, I don't, I don't think it's absurd that Jose Reyes is starting a game in left field <laughs> uh, and leading off. He's had a terrible season. He's not an outfielder. Um, you Pro- know, probably uh, shouldn't have a major league contract, <clears throat> right? So the, the it's just sort of this silly deference to you know, oh, the, he's he's a veteran, he's been in the league for a long time, he deserves respect, whatever. At the same time, that frustration is natural and understandable, and I, honestly, if anything, yeah, directed at the situation at hand, you know. I mean, Jose Reyes presumably said, okay, I'll do that. But he didn't put himself in a spot and, you know, he didn't cause the injuries to the other guys and he didn't keep himself on the roster instead of being DFA'd, you know? So if I'm Chris Flexen and I've had a bad night, I I get like the decorum of what you're supposed to do. Uh, But... I don't know. In the end, I know that we're probably going to see Jose Reyes on this team for like five more years. But in my mind, I'm like, ah, he's had a terrible year. He's gone, whatever. You know, I just don't care. (laughs) And Flexen in in, an even remotely healthy situation for the Mets pitching, which I know might be a stretch. (laughs) Uh, But he should start next year in the minors unless he really finishes strong this year and, uh, you know, and, and does get himself into a conversation for the back end of the rotation. And that's not an insult. That's just sort of the reality of, you know, how he wound up here and what he's done so far at the, at the major league level and where he is in his development, et cetera, et cetera. Right. That, that totally not an insult. He might be a great pitcher and it might not even take that long, but you know, uh, if things go 
even remotely, <laughs> according to plan, he he should begin the year in the minors next year. Yeah, again, I I really don't give a shit about people showing respect on the on the field. I would say it was slightly less cool for Jacob Degrom to do that to Ahmed Rosario because Rosario is so young. And if you're gonna if you're gonna make the argument that a player shouldn't show up another player, a veteran should definitely not show up a rookie. If if we are taking this in sort of absolute terms, which I'm not saying we should, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I I would bet my bottom dollar that Jose Reyes is on this team for at least one more season, if not two or three more seasons, which is depressing. But we have a whole off season to talk about depressing free agent stuff. So let's get to uh, our one email of the week. Uh, you, as always, you can email the show, podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. This is a really fun email about a really not fun topic. Um, this comes from our friend David. Uh, I don't know if it's David Bass or David Bass, but uh, as a bass player, let's go with David Bass. Hey, guys. The injuries to Conforto and Cespedes this week have worsened the injury epidemic facing the Mets. The casual fan might attribute the injuries of the last couple of years to bad luck and more in, and the more enlightened family placed the blame on the direction of Ray Ramirez or that new trainer slash fitness guru that the Mets contracted with the past off season. He means uh, Barwis. For me, I want to advance right. the notion that the Mets are cursed, specifically cursed by Ruben Tejada. I remember thinking that the Mets release of their longtime shortstop in March of 2016 was a foolish baseball decision. They knew that David Wright was in with chronic injury and they had just failed to sign our beloved Dana Murphy. Uh, your beloved Dana Murphy. Uh, the team needed infield depth, but released Tejada so they could clear a space for who? Eric Campbell? Ty Kelly? Two good guesses there, David. Um, <laughs> but it is the karma that concerned me the most about the move. Utley's dirty slide had galvanized the team and the fan base to release Tejada after he had worked his way back from that. Injury seemed wrong, and it would come back to bite the Mets somehow. And what have we dealt with in the almost 18 months since Tejada's release? An unprecedented number of injuries, many of them bizarre in nature and or to players who were seemingly in peak condition. Baseball folklore is dotted with curses, including the curse of the Bambino and the curse of the Billy Goat. Could the Mets be dealing with their own curse right now? And if so, could it it be solved by bringing back Tejada as utility infield the next year? It's not that I'm blown away by his 250 batting average with Baltimore, but what if the health of all current players depends on it? Thanks for keeping me entertained, even in this dismal season. Uh, great email, David. I encourage more emails that posit supernatural reasons for Mets uh, injuries. Um, yes. I mean, obviously, he doesn't really believe this. But it is pretty insane how... I mean, the Mets were not the healthiest team on the block before Tejada got his leg smashed. But it's pretty incredible how bad the run of luck has been injury-wise since then yeah yeah no it's uh it it has been about the worst case scenario you know (laughs) yeah although i have to say perhaps the the flukiest of mets injuries happened before this in 2015 when jerry brett levins broke his arm and then fell off a sidewalk and broke it again (laughs) <laughs> yeah that might be the flukiest med injury in the last couple of seasons um but yeah sure bring him back Ruben Tejada on a minor league deal 
I'm fine with that. Especially if it saves the health of all other rats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else to add before we get out of here? Um, no, I, I, I think that's about it. Uh, we should probably say that we are going to invite you, the listener, to come out to City Field on the last home game of the season on September 27th when the uh, we'll have our uh, sort of a mini uh, meetup at City Field. We will uh, – what section were we in? 120 last time we stood behind? Uh, no, little. Uh, I don't think that's actually a section. Is that a section? It wasn't know. 120. I think it was 127, 128. Yes, it was. I'm sorry. One, that's okay. Uh, yeah, we just uh, <laughs> last time the, the deal we made was just get in the ballpark and then come hang out there, and that worked well last time, and uh, we think it'll work well this time. It's right near good food. It's near good beer. It's a good sight line. There's lots of open space there, and uh, there's always something special about being, being at the last home game of the year. So it, it you know, come root for uh, you know Ahmed Rosario and. Who knows how the rotation works out? Maybe we'll see Rafael Montero pitch a no-hitter. Right. That would be something. Yeah. <laughs> so just get in the ballpark that day, and then uh, we'll we'll coordinate more as it gets closer. But yeah, September 27th, uh, two days before my wedding anniversary, come out and uh, watch the Mets with, with me and Chris, and hopefully some more Amazing Avenue friends and family. And uh, yeah, that should be fun. Tom Seaver and Dwight Gooden are the obvious choices as the greatest right-handed starting pitchers to ever tow the rubber for the Mets. As far as lefties go, that's a bit tougher. That said, here are the top five southpaw starters in team history. At number five, Sid Fernandez. El Sid is an optical illusion. A deceptive downward motion combined with the rising fastball gave the impression he was throwing uphill. The greatest deception, though, came in his stat sheet. A rate of 6.85 hits per nine innings, over 15 seasons and with four other clubs, trends on the remarkable. Only three other pitchers in history who pitched more than 1,500 innings gave up fewer hits. Those names, Nolan Ryan, Sandy Koufax, and Clayton Kershaw. His batting average against was regularly at the top of the Major League charts from 1985 through 1992 the years he spent in New York. During that same span, he struck out 8.5 batters every nine innings. This normally would make Sid an ace on nearly any starting staff, but some elements, his weight, his lack of location, and his inability to go deep into games, worked to his detriment. He needed just 2.1 innings, though, for his most important Mets appearance. It came during the deciding contest of the 1986 World Series, when he gave up no hits and struck out four, kept the Red Sox from adding to their 3 nothing lead, and energized the Shea Stadium crowd, as well as the Mets, to overcome Boston and win the championship. At number four, another member of the 86 team, Bob Ojeda. Arguably the most underrated member of that club, Ojeda, a trade acquisition from Boston that past offseason, might have been the most valuable. He led the Mets with 18 wins had a 2.57 ERA, and won two important postseason games, Game 2 of the NLCS against Houston and Game 3 of the World Series against Boston. 
A sequence of devastating injuries in successive seasons, ranging from the normal, an ulnar nerve damage to his left elbow in 87, to the absurd, a hedge clipper severing a finger on his pitching hand while gardening at home in 1988, impeded any chances of building on that great 86 season. For his Mets career, which lasted five years and ended with the December 1990 trade to the Dodgers, Ojeda went 51-40 with a 3.12 ERA. Now to number three, John Matlack. 82 victories merit the seventh most on the Mets' all-time leaderboard. Countered with 81 defeats, the narrow-minded view of a near-break-even mark is severely misleading. From his Rookie of the Year showing in 1972 to his swan song in 1977, Matlack racked up 26 complete games. Tom Seaver, during that same time, went the distance on 28 occasions and won 108. John was frequently characterized as playing second or even third fiddle behind Jerry Kuzman in the New York rotation, but he rose up to the top of the pecking order down the stretch in 1973, a year which began slow, turned perilous with a line drive off his head, and then turned spectacular as he went 5-1 from August 18th onward and ended up third in the National League in strikeouts. Matlack's hot hand carried over into October, as his smooth delivery had the Reds and A's off balance for the better part of 25.2 innings, allowing a mere four runs. When Matlack departed for Texas post-77, he was second to Seaver when counting the lowest ERA, 3.03, among pitchers who recorded more than 700 innings. More than 40 years later, it still is. Fast forward to a different era, and you have the number two left-handed starting pitcher in Mets history. To borrow a tired expression, Al Leiter wore his emotions on his sleeve. He also wore them on his hat, pants, shoes, and anywhere else sentiments can be stored. Leiter might have been a terrible poker player, but the Toms River, New Jersey native fulfilled his duties of pitching quite well. The Mets took advantage of a Florida Marlins post-World Series fire sale, and it paid immediate dividends. Leiter had his lowest ERA, 2.47, with New York in 1998, yielded only eight home runs, and would win 17 games, one of five times he would lead the club in victories. Those triumphs were harder to come by the next year. In 1999, Leiter had his worst season, but it contained his best performance, the five-hit complete gamer against the Cincinnati Reds to win the one-game wildcard playoff. His most high-profile showcase of determination, though, came in defeat when two ninth-inning runs by the New York Yankees broke a 2-2 tie and spoiled an attempt to prolong the 2000 World Series. While Leiter's cumulative VRA, 3.42 over seven seasons, doesn't measure up to the other great Mets starting pitchers, it's impressive when taking into account the era in which he worked. Now the number one left-handed starting pitcher in New York Mets history. Being overshadowed by the legend of the franchise could prompt feelings of resentment for a pitcher who totaled 140 victories, nearly 1,800 strikeouts, and an ERA of 3.09. But Jerry Kuzman, who spent part of 11 seasons as Tom Seaver's left-hand man, didn't object to being in the background. The numbers he put up and the time in which he did it makes him as underrated and overlooked as anyone who wore a Mets uniform. 
with a 19 and 12 record, a 2.08 ERA, and 176 Ks in 263.2 innings, he almost was the rookie of the year in 1968. The 1969 season was outstanding in several ways, aside from the obvious. He nearly matched his performance from the year prior, and got named to the All-Star squad for the second year in a row. But bigger things lay ahead. Two of his best starts came in that year's World Series. In Game 2, Kuzman held the powerful Baltimore Orioles lineup hitless into the seventh inning, as the Mets would go on to even the series. Then, he recovered from three early runs to go the distance in the Game 5 clincher. Kuzman's string of World Series success continued in 1973. Knotted at two wins apiece, his six and a third innings, combined with Tug McGraw's two and two thirds innings in relief, shut out the Oakland A's. The elusive search for a 20-win season ended in 1976, when he achieved the magic number on September 16th, in a complete game win over the St. Louis Cardinals at Shea Stadium. Kuzman would eventually get 21, and would break the barrier again as a member of the Minnesota Twins in 1979, the season after he was traded away from the Mets at his behest, which marked the departure of one of the last links to the initial chain of glory years in Mets history. That's all for this list. I'm Brian Wright. You can follow me on Twitter, at BrianWright86. Hey everyone, this is Steve and I'm back to go over our minor league players of the week for week 21. The Las Vegas 51s went 2-4 and four for the week, giving them a 52-81 and 81 record, which puts them 17 games back behind the Solar Bees for first place. And obviously, since they're 17 games back, they have been eliminated from playoff contention for a long time now. The Binghams and Rumble Ponies went 4-5, and five, which puts them at 79-54 and 54 for the year, which is 9 games behind the Tread and Thunder. Despite the fact that they're nine games back, Binghamton actually clinched a playoff berth, uh, which is their fourth playoff appearance in the last five years, and obviously their first as the Rumble Ponies. They'll be facing off against the Thunder in the first round of the Eastern League playoffs next week. Game 1 and 2 will be in Binghamton, 3, 4, and 5 will be in Trenton, and if necessary, 6 and 7 will go back upstate. The St. Lucie Mets went 1 and 5, and are 25 and 37 for the second half, which puts them 13 games, 13 and a half games behind the Fort Myer Miracle for first place, and they were also eliminated from playoff contention a while ago. <clears throat> the Columbia Fireflies went 4 and 3, giving them a 26 and 36 record in the second half, which is 11 and a half games behind the Charleston River Dogs. The Colorflies were hanging on to a tiny sliver of hope coming into the week. They had a magic number of two, but they are now officially eliminated from the playoffs. Coming into the week, and throughout it, Brooklyn was in the middle of the worst skid in franchise history, a 15-game losing streak. On Saturday night, they beat Staten Island 3-2, snapping the streak. It was also Star Wars night, and I took a lot of time coming up with a bunch of obvious and subtle Star Wars puns to put into the uh, Daily Prospect Report that night, so shame on everyone who didn't read it. The 1981 Batavia Trojans, who are now the Muck Dogs, they have the worst uh, record in New York Penn League history with 16-59, and 59, and now Brooklyn is guaranteed to not finish as poorly as they did, but it's definitely going to be one of the poorest seasons in New York Penn League history, and by far the worst season that the Cyclones have ever had in franchise history. <clears throat> the Kingsport Mets went 3-4, and four, are, are 28-33 and 33 for the year. And they are officially eliminated from the Appalachian League playoffs. And the GCL Mets went two and three, and are nineteen and thirty-two for the year. So our pitcher for the week 
Week 21 is GCL Mets right-hander Jose Moreno. He pitched five innings plus this week, giving up two hits, walking two, and striking out nine. Moreno was part of uh, the 2014 class of international free agents that wasn't exactly the best for the Mets. Uh, Ricardo Cespedes and Ali Sanchez were basically the two highest-profile guys that the Mets signed, and both of them still have a, a ways to go, and Cespedes isn't even in the organization anymore. So Moreno came stateside at the beginning of July, and he's pitched decently with the GCL Mets. In nine starts and five relief appearances, he's posted 3.16 ERA in 57 innings, allowing 46 hits, walking 32, and striking at 59. The walks, is a, that's a bit high, and that's a bit troublesome, but the fact that he's striking out more than <clears throat> nine batters per inning is a good thing. And now, our hitter of the week is Binghamton Rumble Pony's third baseman, David Thompson. Thompson went 8 for 28 with two doubles, three home runs, seven RBI, three walks, and five strikeouts. So, last season, uh, Thompson hit 280, 333, 444 in 116 games split between Columbia and St. Lucie. This season, he's hitting 259, 322, 431 in 127 games, all Binghamton. His walk rate is pretty much the same, his strikeout rate is pretty much the same, and he's basically putting up the same numbers as he did last year, with the only real difference being uh, he has a lower bat up this season, 289, so his batting line is a little lower. If you adjust his bat up to an even 300, uh, Thompson would be hitting 270, 333, 431, which is pretty solid. And if you adjusted his bat up to be slightly above average like last year, um, which was 324, then Thompson would be hitting 294, 357, 431 on the season, which are pretty, which is pretty good. But that's all, you know, just kind of thought exercise. But what is a little exciting about Thompson this year is that his power is showing up. Uh, in his junior year at the Miami uh, University, University of Miami, he hit 19 home runs, which led Miami and the entire ACC. And when he was drafted, he was basically seen as a raw plus power guy with a questionable bat, and since being drafted, he's basically been the exact opposite of that. He's been a decent hitter with a questionable power. You know, it would have been easy to write off the power as being a result of hitting in the NCAA with a metal bat and just kind of subpar college pitchers and whatever, but the power starting to manifest again. Um, over 82 games before the All-Star break, Thompson had seven home runs, and in 28 games in just the month of August, he has nine. Um, before Thompson was drafted, he was known as you know, a power guy, and his strikeout rate isn't going up. It's actually a tiny bit down this season, and his contact rate is about the same. So it's not like he's sacrificing contact for power in this recent um, August hot streak. He's been able to tap into that latent power without sacrificing any of his bet-on-ball skills, and that bodes well for him in the future. His defense is another thing that was kind of questionable, and is looking more and more rosy now. Um, he had shoulder injuries in 2013, and then he had thoracic outlet syndrome uh, in 2014, and both of those things basically severely weakened his throwing arm and compromised his ability to throw the ball uh, from third to first. And while he's recovered some of that strength, his arm is still fringy, but what makes up for that fact is that even though he's a stocky six foot, 200 pounds, he has... A decent glove and decent range. Um, he's pretty nimble at third base, and he's got very soft hands. 
And he's never going to be a plus defender or anything, despite that, because of the arm. But he should be able to stick at third, I think, which is a boost for his profile. Um, I put Thompson at the back end of my top 25 list back in 2015, because I liked his draw power, and I figured that his poor season in Brooklyn is basically an aberration, you know, caused by having to play a full season in Miami back-to-back with a full season in Brooklyn. Um, after his de- decent decent season last year, I was thinking of maybe making him my sleeper, but I decided to make P.J. Conlon my sleeper, and they both performed decently this year. And given what the system looks like going to the offseason, Thompson will probably be back on uh, the back end of my list in 2018. So those are our minor league players of the week for week 21. I'm Steve Seipa, and I'll talk to everyone next week on Amazing Avenue Audio. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it. You can go to AmazingAvenue.com for all your Mets-related needs. Uh, All the information you could ever desire about the Mets is found there. That is a fact. Nothing you don't want is there. It's not there. Uh, Too many negatives in that sentence. You know what I mean? It's a great site. Uh, You can follow all of our ramblings there as well as on the podcast. Uh, Please go to Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and like or follow at Amazing Avenue so you can find out what we have going on uh, as fast as possible because, you know, the internet is what it is and people use social media. And why am I explaining this to you? This is what happens when I record my intros before work in the morning and I haven't had my coffee yet. So uh, my apologies. You can also go to blogtalkradio.com and download the show directly or grab it from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or even from amazingavenue.com. But if you're using Apple Podcasts, we ask you please to rate, review, and subscribe. That helps the show considerably. So thank you in advance. And you can follow all of us contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap, Chris is at Chris McShane, Steve is at Steve Saipa, and Brian's at Brian Wright 86 So um, Mets are heading to Houston, which has much bigger things to worry about than the Mets this weekend. And there's a doubleheader Saturday, so maybe there'll be some fun baseball this weekend. A boy can dream, right? Until then, let's go Mets. <laughs>